Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. Today's episode um, is going to be another sort of acapella ramble. And it's not that I didn't have material. Why did I stutter there? Why did I say that so strangely? It's not that I did not have. It is not that I did not have material prepared for today's episode. It was actually, I woke up today and I didn't feel like recording. That's the honest truth behind it. Kind of a redundant phrase being an honest truth. But yeah, I really didn't want to record today. And for some reason, my brain just couldn't get me to focus on the original material I had planned for today, which will come out, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, yeah. So I actually just spent the last hour or so trying to record a separate episode. Didn't work. I didn't like the quality of the audio. I didn't like my tonality behind it. I didn't like um, much about anything. It just felt very disjointed and very different than what it was I was trying to accomplish. And so for that reason, I scrapped the idea. But I wanted to do something. And I think um, what I've noticed is typically when I have a difficult time recording the scheduled material, I'm able to usually just sort of rant and ramble about whatever comes into my head. So, yeah, honestly, I woke up today. And these kind of days happen. You know, there are days where you wake up and, you know, you're ready to just conquer the world and you're ready to go to the gym and be extremely productive at work and record your podcast in a converted little closet but unfortunately for me today that just wasn't one of those days it happens every now and then where there's nothing in particular it's just like like the only thing I want to do for some reason is is eat that's all I feel comfortable with doing but you know I'm trying to exert some discipline here by not somehow procuring sushi at um right now it's let's see 9 a.m you know i'm sure it can be done but just one of those days woke up for some reason said you know what i would love today is sushi and rather than me saying okay well let's record then maybe let's go to the gym and then we can have sushi no my brain today and my body is just saying, no, just have the sushi now. And so it's kind of been a mental battle. But it's okay. It's a good problem to have. Um, at this point, I'm sort of trying to shift my focus so that my sole intent right now is to really just submit you into a state where listening to me ramble about my sushi addiction slash craving and my lack of productivity first thing in the morning, you know, it's it, my new goal is to 
get you so bored that all you want to do is fall asleep. And so that's what we're working on right now. Like I said, this is a this is a totally unscripted sort of ramble. I've really enjoyed doing these. If for no other reason than when I do prepare material, sometimes it'll feel like um, it'll I'll have an idea behind it in terms of, you know, maybe I want to sort of change my pitch on it. Maybe I want to present it a sort of way. And I don't think I'm very good at that, to be frank, because I'll listen to my content afterwards in the review process. And maybe it's just I'm very critical with myself, but frankly, I, I don't necessarily feel like I have a huge range uh, when it comes to the way I can present um, spoken content, you know, to be continue being honest with you guys. But when all else fails, when I feel like having sushi at 9 a.m., when I feel like the gym is the last place I want to be in being in the recording studio slash my closet. Um, when those are the last places I want to be and what I want to do, sometimes you just need to buckle down and perform a ramble. So obviously I didn't come with notes, but here's some things that have been on my mind. I saw a few films recently figured I'd talk about at least a couple of them. The first film I saw was E.T. a couple weeks ago. Now, um, a confession. I have never seen E.T. from start to finish. And the reason why I had never seen E.T. from start to finish was because when I was younger, I found E.T. to be so creepy looking that I couldn't get myself to watch the movie. Now as an adult, there's still something kind of creepy looking about E.T., but, you know, I've been able to, I guess, fight that fear or that disdain for the look of E.T. and watch the film. So, I did watch the movie, and um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it held up okay. Obviously, there are plenty of things that... Um, you know, looks sort of out of date, but in general, it's, it's like a very 90s movie in the sense that I feel many 90s movies, they just set up very, they, they set up unrealistic scenarios for the punchline or for the reveal. Like, I think it was the main character, which I'm terrible with names, so I don't remember names of anyone there. I think the main character is like eight years old, maybe nine years old, and he's going outside in the middle of a backyard, which even that is ridiculous. It's like the this family lived in the suburbs and their backyard was like this infinite wasteland of just acreage to set up, you know, the reveal of E.T. in the shed and all that, but it's just ridiculous. I mean, if you live in the suburbs and I guess California, wherever they were, 
you know, in that type of community, I doubt that you have, you know, this infinite land just like behind your yard. That's the way I remember, at least. I did have a few drinks, so maybe, maybe I don't remember the story too well. Um, in any case, yeah, so the main character goes out to the shed at like midnight, and these people don't have a single light on in their backyard. I don't know about you. My family growing up, typically, whether it be for security, whether it be for aesthetic, call it whatever you want, you know, in our backyard and in our front yard, patio, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, we always kept on at least one or two lights, you know, not to blind the neighbors or keep them up, but just sort of for our own, you know, safety, I guess, just in case. And um, meanwhile, this family in E.T., they just sort of leave absolutely no lights on. It's pitch black. And obviously they do it in the movie so that you get to the punchline, which is, you know, this child being afraid of what's out in the darkness and then stumbling across E.T. But I can also tell you with quite a bit of certainty that when I was a child, number one, I was not stepping outside of my house with no lights on, okay? Just like you, um, I'm sure just like you, you know, even at seven, eight, there are plenty of things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. You know, I barely felt comfortable getting out of my bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom for fear of the dark and all that. So the idea that a child is going to leave their home at midnight to, um, search the bushes or the shed, especially when they hear strange noises. Um, I just don't buy it. And it happens today in movies still, of course, but I, I feel in particular in the 90s, the, the setup for some of these big reveals or scenes is just ridiculous. Like, think about Home Alone, right? Just think about how absurd the premise of Home Alone is where first and foremost you have a traveling family and I understand that in the movie there were you know tons of uh, children involved and it was multiple families coming together and the whole thing I just there is absolutely no way that a family traveling with children would leave the head count to one of the children to make sure that all the children are present in the group and then not double and triple check it's absolutely impossible let's assume that somehow you know the families they were able to get to the airport and they left you know little Macaulay Culkin whatever his name is in the movie um which I already forgot his name in the movie what was it Anyway, so let's say you leave Macaulay Culkin at home. It's fine. Okay, I guess mistakes happen. That's happened, I'm sure, many times. But then to physically get to the airport to check in and then to get on a flight, and once you're on the flight, realize at that point that you're missing a child, you know. Look, I know it's a movie, so... I don't want you to unsubscribe and I don't want you to stop listening just because 
you feel like I'm criticizing movies. I understand. There are plenty of things. You know, Harry Potter is a wizard. That doesn't happen in the real world. Um, you know, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. You know, there's plenty of, you know, crazy premises for movies. I guess my criticism, like I said, of 90s movies is, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm happy to have a discussion, not a debate about it, because I certainly don't know anything about movies, clearly. In my opinion, in the 90s, it just seemed like the setup or the premises relied on really inconceivable or really heavy-handed um, assumptions. And again, for me, a heavy-handed assumption or a heavy-handed premise to sort of set up Home Alone is that a family would actually travel to the airport without their child and take a flight without their child. Even in the midst of the chaos of having multiple families come together. And again, I know it's a movie, but that's what I'm saying about 90s movies. Taking it a step further, then the fact that the child doesn't panic. Like I said, I don't know about you guys. If I was alone at eight years old and my parents just left me somewhere, I doubt I'd be so chill as to like just be watching movies and then going to the grocery store by myself and going out and about and actually knowing how to, you know, buy things and make things. And it could very well be that I was just an absolutely useless eight-year-old. That that could be, I think, totally, <laughs> that could be totally plausible. Um, so that's sort of where I stood with E.T. That... Um, a lot of the setups and all that, it just felt very 90s. And while I know my tone and the way I'm presenting this rambling review slash criticism slash opinion piece, it may sound a bit harsh. It was actually very pleasant. You know, it was almost very, um, how should I say? There was this sort of like innocence, this quality of innocence and harmlessness that was, I think, also very indicative of a lot of 90s movies. Like in Home Alone, you were never actually scared for Macaulay Culkin. And it just felt very lighthearted. And again, it could be my own bias. It could be that I'm interpreting things in a totally different way. But I think that 90s movies, that same sort of goofiness and the same sort of heavy-handed and totally ridiculous... Um moments that set up the premise and, you know, the gotcha moments of these films. I think it's also partially what made them so just fun. Just straight up um, fun. So I saw E.T. I also saw Little Miss Sunshine again. And I actually enjoyed Little Miss Sunshine more upon my, this should be my second viewing or maybe third and in particular, I think what I really enjoy about Little Miss Sunshine, especially as I get older, and maybe not to reveal too much about myself, but, you know, I'm a guy that's looking to start a family here pretty soon. I'm not sure exactly when you'll be listening to this recording, but yeah, the whole idea is sometime soon I would love to 
start my own family. So to sort of see a family dynamic as they depict like a, you know, let's call it just like a regular old Midwest kind of family with their own problems and their own little intricacies and, you know, as sort of like a character study, it's, it's really a film that, um, I think resonates and is actually more interesting to watch the older I get. Um, because not only is it sort of just brilliant in how subtle it is, and I think that is what makes Little Miss Sunshine great, is it's a very subtle film. You know, it, it, it kind of reaches a climactic sort of second, third, or halfway through the movie where, you know, they're making the trip to the, the pageant and the thing happens with a grandfather and, you know, like there are definitely some very, um, climatic or let's say maybe suspenseful moments, but really the film doesn't rely on that at all. You know, the film really relies on just good dialogue, good storytelling, interesting uses of the camera and music and sort of very small sort of little cues. So a little Miss Sunshine I thought was great upon my second or third viewing. Um, I also saw, I saw the original Alien as well. I don't know why this became a, just a ramble about some of the films I've been watching over the last month or two. I saw the original Alien for the first time, and I thought it was a movie that held up pretty well. I think it's a movie that did horror and suspense extremely well. Extremely well. Um... Everything from not giving you too much information about the alien to sort of the presentation. Um, you know, I thought they had pretty good characters and all that. So even though it's a movie that's obviously, you know, been out there for such a long time, I think it really did hold up um, quite well. Don't have much more to say about that. I also saw a movie recently called In Bruges with Colin Farrell that I thought was actually excellent. And I've come to realize that Colin Farrell has done a lot more interesting movies than I sort of had recognized heading into the, the watching the film. And what I've also recognized now is that Colin Farrell actually is such a good, dry comedy, subtle, kind of, you know, subdued style of acting that I didn't really know he had, and I didn't think or know that he would do it so well in multiple films. Um, so, for example, if you've ever seen The Lobster, a movie that I, I personally really enjoy a lot, if only because I enjoy sort of strange, subtle films, that have like very clear sort of like social um, criticisms, but they sort of poke fun at it in an interesting and or fun way. So if you've seen The Lobster, just to give you a quick premise if you haven't, or the breakdown, basically The Lobster is a film where adults at a certain age, um, they need to find a partner. And if they don't find a life partner um, after a certain amount of time, they basically... 
uh, get converted into a, a type of animal. It's an absolutely ridiculous, you know, premise for a film. And so anyway, you basically get taken to a resort or a hotel. At which point, I think it was two weeks or a week to find um, a partner. And the entire movie is just ridiculous. It's like people are getting together for the most facetious reasons. You know, one couple gets together because they both suffer from nosebleeds very frequently. And that's enough for them to proclaim eternal love. So it's just kind of interesting movie. And Colin Farrell really plays this role of someone who's there who has to find a partner or else he gets converted into an animal. And the animal he has chosen to get converted into, if he fails to find a partner, is a lobster. I think for a few reasons. I think he says that they live a long time, um, that they don't have any natural predators aside from humans, I think, <sighs> that they have blue blood or something like that. It's it's kind of hard to say, but but that's sort of the, the breakdown as to why it is he chooses the lobster. And again, the movie... Every, it's like a dystopian sort of alter universe where people are just extremely blunt. They don't make real connections. They connect over the the silliest things. It, it's really a film that if you don't watch it, it's very difficult for me to describe the style. I certainly don't have the knowledge or the know-how to be able to, to really give a... Um, you know, like a real critical analysis or technical analysis of the style of film. So anyway, Colin Farrell is in that movie. And then in, in Bruges, the other film that I saw, which I had never heard of prior to seeing it, he doesn't play a similar character. He plays a hitman who is new to the job, who... Uh, basically has only completed one mission, and that one mission was sort of botched, for lack of a better term. And his employer sends himself and another hitman to Bruges for vacation. And, you know, it's sort of like this ridiculous thing like, well, why are we in Bruges, which I believe is in Belgium? And, you know, the employer is basically like, isn't it amazing? It's a fairy tale. It's... And Colin Farrell the entire time is just like, what am I doing here? This is so strange. You know, I'm not going to give more detail just because I don't want to ruin, let's say, the twist of the film halfway through. But same thing. It's kind of a dry, comedic, very over-the-top sort of um, film. So it's like this weird combination between action and comedy and almost like a tragedy in some regards. And um, I thought he nailed it. I thought he was great. Um, the other actor, I don't remember his name, but he's the one that plays Professor... You know, the, the professor with the one eye from Harry Potter or with the big spectacles. What's his, his name? Mundungus? No, I don't remember the name of... You could probably tell, I mean, you could probably tell through multiple episodes how I really don't 
pay much detail. I don't pay much attention to details for a lot of these things. Like I told someone the other day that I'm not going to say which one it is because I don't want to ostracize myself and I don't want to alienate myself even further from listeners. But among the films that I've been seeing recently were the entire collection of a film franchise. So, you know, obviously you have multiple big-time movie franchises that have two, three-plus installments. And I'm not going to say which one this was. Anyway, I watched the entire, you know, let's say installment of this particular film franchise, and I just didn't like it. I just didn't think it was that interesting. I didn't think it was that exciting. I didn't think it was that fun to watch. And... um I was speaking to someone the other day who was talking about this film franchise and I sort of just told him very bluntly like that I didn't really enjoy the franchise. I didn't really enjoy any of the movies too much. Certainly some were better than others, but I wasn't a fan. And this person who I had just met that same day, who was a friend of a friend, so obviously, you know, they didn't feel the need to hold back. I mean, they basically insulted me without really insulting me. You know, they're just kind of making, like, remarks about, like, how could you not like it? I just met you, but I can tell that you're not a very smart guy. Your taste in film is absolutely garbage if you don't like that franchise. Like, pretty heated about it, actually. And I didn't get mad at her because I probably feel like many people are like this. And, um, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it. And like I said, I, I'm not going to reveal which franchise it was because I don't want to risk, uh, you hating me. And I don't want to risk telling you which one it is you getting so upset and you just sort of levitating yourself or just pulling yourself out of your relaxed, hopefully, or even nap or sleep mode, just to sort of listen to the rest of the episode so you can hate listen you know that concept of hate watching and hate listening it's one of those concepts I never quite understood like if you really hate listening to someone or watching someone because you despise their content or their opinions then why do you watch like that just can't be good for yourself like every now and then I'll get emails or even reviews of people that say, say like, I hate your work. I hate, you know, it doesn't really bother me too much. What actually bothers me is there are plenty of things that personally I don't like or I don't relate to, but to sort of go out of my way to leave a negative comment is not necessarily something that, like, it, it just doesn't feel very useful, let's say. A product is different, right? Because a product is, you know, hey, this is my personal experience with this product. You're going to receive the same product. Maybe you want to consider something else. But with something like art or entertainment, you know, this podcast, hopefully for you, it works well. But some people really dislike this very casual, 
free-flowing conversation, basically. And, you know, my podcast is branded as ASMR, and I think I do a lot of ASMR, what people would think of as, of as ASMR-specific content. But in reality, a lot of it, in my opinion, is I'm just trying to create an environment where listeners know, you know, that I'm going to be very relaxed, there aren't going to be any loud noises, you know, just a regular conversation sometimes, or a regular monologue that can sort of just drone and ramble on. And a lot of people enjoy that. That's why a lot of people enjoy listening to um, something like Bob Ross sometimes, right? Where he's just sort of self-spoken and talking to you about little trees and happy little mistakes. Certainly not that I'm on the level Bob Ross because I'm certainly not. But the point that I'm trying to make is hate-watching or hate-consuming content, I just think it's a terrible idea. And I've never quite understood it. Uh, what else have I watched recently? I watched... Oh, I watched Mean Girls again. Mean Girls, just an absolute cult classic. Like, Mean Girls is one of those movies where I can't relate to the high school drama. Because my high school wasn't anything like in the film. And I'm also not, you know, female. So I can't really relate to sort of the drama going on. But it's just such a great... I don't know. Mean Girls is just like the ultimate, just like, let's just watch something kind of silly, something from the past, and have some popcorn and then, you know, just do it. Um, saw The Dark Knight, again. Always, that's a classic. So now you know the Batman franchise is not the franchise or trilogy that I berated against. Um, I think lastly, the only other movie that I've seen recently is, I've seen two actually that come to mind. One is WALL-E. I think the first time I've seen WALL-E from start to finish, because I actually have seen WALL-E, but when I watched it last time, I, um, fell asleep. Yeah, I fell asleep. But it was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, just a really cool premise as well for a film. Pixar. I think it's a Pixar film. They always um, manage to come out with interesting new little concepts. Same thing with Wreck-It Ralph. Like Wreck-It Ralph is a pretty interesting idea for a movie. Just like Wally. And... Uh, yeah, I think Stand By Me was the last film I saw. I thought it held up pretty well, relatively speaking, but I've just definitely like every sort of decade comes with its own storytelling method. For me, there's no doubt that I'll look back, for example, on Inception to sort of represent the 2010s. And I'm sure when the year is 
2030, you know, I'll go back and watch Inception again and then compare it to films being released in 2030. And I'll feel very, you know, like there, there definitely will be a sort of tonality shift and sort of how films are are portrayed. That's probably why I think 2001, A Space Odyssey has probably held up so well is because I actually think 2001 in many ways looks like a film in terms of the way the story is presented. That's like from the 2010s. And it's hard for me exactly to describe what I mean by that. But I think it's almost like... I think older films, they just tend to like beat you over the head with information. And they just make it very clear and obvious what it is that's happening. Whereas if you look at Inception, Inception tells you what's happening, but there's a lot of room for interpretation. There's a lot of room where you kind of have to fill in the gaps. You know, and again, maybe I'm just giving too much credit to the 2010s. Maybe I'm just totally discrediting. I'm, I'm, you know, again, I'm sure I'm wrong about just about all this. But I think 2001 is a good example. The only thing I really disliked about 2001 A Space Odyssey was how when Hal, and this is a spoiler alert, but the movie's been out for like 30, 40, 50 years, something like that. Um, really the biggest problem I had with 2001 was when Hal was sort of going rogue and doing whatever he wanted, he ended up, you know, basically, for lack of a better word, you know, murdering, uh, you know, the other space crew uh, members. And I just wish in the film the protagonist would have been a bit more emotive. You know, I wish he would have been a bit more, you know, more sweating, more heavy breathing, more fidgety eyes more nervousness because if you're in the middle of space and your artificial intelligence assistant is essentially going rogue and making decisions you know on his own accord um that for me is a very nerve-wracking decision if people that you go up into space with are no longer living because of this ai assistant basically you know circumventing your orders so that he can achieve his goal, which is to, you know, whatever. Then, you know, like a good example for me was at one point, one of the crew members basically gets ejected into space. And I could be misremembering a bit because I, I, I honestly watched this movie like over two or three nights because I kept falling asleep. Not because it was bad, but just because I was watching it so late <clears throat> at night. And so, the protagonist has to get into a little pod, and, you know, would shoot out with, you know, and had these little grappling hands, let's say, at the end of the pod. And, um, you know, what would happen, or what happened was, the protagonist goes into the middle of space, basically finds, like, the floating body of the crew member, who, at that time, I'm sure the protagonist was smart enough to deduce that, okay, Hal, my AI assistant, you know, basically did this on purpose. 
But the guy is just totally stoic the entire time. He's not, he, he doesn't have an emotion on his face. And that's what for me struck me as so strange. There was never a shift where as he got closer to retrieving the body, he kind of opened his eyes, started to breathe heavily, started to ask what was going on, you know, get nervous. None of that. For me, it was just so weird to see someone be so stoic in a situation that was like it, it really could have used, I think, more over the top acting. You know, maybe if it were like Jack Nicholson in that film, especially with like big facial emotions, I think that's partially why The Shining is so good, is in The Shining so often it's about what's not being said, and Jack Nicholson is so expressive, right, with his eyebrows and his mouth, you know, and the way that he sort of contorts his face, kind of like Jim Carrey in many ways, right, that it gives you such rich information that you can then use to sort of interpret and understand the film more deeply. And that was the thing with 2001 that I just disliked was an extremely stressful situation. And it, it just like the guy, the guy looked like he was going to the grocery store. It was actually to the point where I couldn't tell if maybe it was my fault. Maybe I was falling asleep and I just wasn't observing the movie well enough. So I actually did rewatch it a few days later in the middle of the day. And no, that was the case. You know, the guy during the most stressful situations possible is basically just like a statue. No smile, no gasping, no wide-eyed, no sweat, no redness in his cheeks. No cursing, no fast break, nothing. That, for me, is where 2001 falls short. I'd love to know if you have a similar opinion. Because I think I've said this to a couple of people, and they haven't seen it. And, you know, they haven't seen it recently, so they don't necessarily get it. But I'm curious to know your thoughts. So, anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. This has been another little acapella ramble. This time I basically just started talking about movies and films I've watched recently. Let me know your thoughts. Roast me if you wish or tell me I'm right. It's whatever you prefer. You can always reach me at hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening and 